Welcome to Cybercast 2.0. I'm your host, James Mersall. With us today is Manuel Castillo, or Manny. Manny serves as a senior IT security leader for the FBI, where he is responsible for leading the development and implementation of cybersecurity and defense practices for the global FBI enterprise in order to protect the organization against cyber attacks. Prior to his current appointment, Manny spent six years detailed to the National Security Agency serving as the Director of Operations for Computer Network Operations and Director of Operations for Cybersecurity Operations. Today we talk to Manny about some of the FBI's newest initiatives in pursuit of cutting-edge technology and security at the FBI. We discuss cloud migration, including how to mitigate the privacy and chain of custody concerns law enforcement must consider. We also talk about risk management strategies, penetration testing, and red teaming. Finally, we discuss AI and automation, considering what it can and cannot do for law enforcement and national security. Thank you for joining us today, Manny. Let's get started. All right. Well, thank you for the invite, James. Um, so first question, how is the FBI approaching security and its modernization efforts? Um, what is your approach to legacy systems? I mean, as far as the FBI, we're in the uh, the law enforcement and national security uh, business, if you want to call it line of business. And, and one of the things that is critical for the FBI is it's be able to deliver the information to not only from, you know, the director, but FBI special agents in the field and analysts in a secure manner, intelligence that they need, you know, in a timely manner. And uh, be able to scale it across, you know, a digital enterprise that we have, you know, that, that it's global. A couple of approaches that we have taken. One is a cloud. Everybody's using the cloud for a couple of reasons. One, be able to scale what we do and uh, be able to expand it at a moment's notice in case something happens. Talking a little bit more about the, the cloud, I know the FBI has certain uh, concerns considering, you know, privacy, making sure the data remains secure, and that you also maintain the chain of custody for law enforcement purposes. What has been your experience with balancing those considerations with cloud migration, if you can talk about that? Well, I'll break it up in two parts. One, your first question, you know, the, the data privacy section and then the actual technical implementation, which to me, the technical piece is always easier than the, the uh, compliance part. Now, as far as the FBI, you know, we receive information from members of the intelligence community, such as NSA, CIA, you know, highly sensitive information, which is classified most of the time. We also get information from victims. So if you have a victim, you need to protect that data. You know, when people report to us a crime, or they're, they're the victim of a crime, you know, in this case, cyber, I mean, nobody should know but, you know, the people that are investigating it. So data privacy is very high when it comes to the FBI. We have not only FBI regulations, but regulations by the Department of Justice as to, you know, how you protect that data and how that data should be, you know, only available to those that really need it. In a criminal case, I used to be a police officer in New Hampshire. Chain of custody is absolutely critical when it comes to criminal cases. You know, where was the evidence collected? Who collected it? And then how did it get there to an FBI repository? Now, when you're talking about digital evidence, it's all about is this particular set of data the original data? Right, so that's usually accomplished by you know either hashing the the hard drive or you know if it is a piece of malware, that particular data it's very unique. You know you're going to have timestamps, who collected and so forth. It's a I don't want to say it's a big shift on you know how we do business, but it's something that due to the digital age, it's something that you know we have to incorporate. Uh, as I mentioned, I was a contractor with the Department of Justice, fresh out of undergrad um, in the crim division, but in the fraud section. Yeah, we lived and died by TrueCrypt, but when it came to actual physical evidence, accordion folders full of material from from law firms that were cooperating with us, and often just wound up being a lot of CDs. So the cloud seems like a much more accessible and adaptable version to work with. You'll still have to uh, keep that chain of 
custody. Absolutely when it comes to criminal cases, because, you know, that's going to go up to court discovery. You know, how do we know that that piece of data is the actual data that came in? If you're talking about fraud, particularly wire fraud or any type of electronic, you know, related commodity. So what would you say is unique about the FBI compared to other federal agencies in terms of its cybersecurity opportunities and challenges? One thing that is unique is the mission. So the mission of the FBI is to protect the United States from, in this particular case, you know, cyber attacks, right? We protect the American public. We have a whole range of uh, crimes under, you know, the U.S., the 18 title. And when it comes to that, it's really broad authority to investigate federal crimes, not only, you know, in the states, but, you know, we, we could also, with the, uh, with the help of, like, you know, National Security Agency and CIA, make that connection overseas. You know, we do from counterintelligence to cyber to terrorism, all of that stuff, you know, not only crosses the U.S., but it, 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 there is always a component that is overseas, whether you're talking foreign intelligence service or especially in the cyber arena. All, you know, all the stuff that we get in pretty much, it's, it's coming from overseas. So when it comes to the authorities, everything is different. National Security Agency is all foreign. When it comes to the opportunities, the FBI is in the middle of a, uh, what I would call a digital revolution, where we're really trying to expand how we deliver IT services. It's all about customer service and being able to deliver information to whoever needs it in a timely fashion, but in a secure way. As far as that, uh, as a matter of fact, a couple of years ago, the cyber division uh, created, I don't want to say special classification, but they're really recruiting heavy for people that want to be special agents. You know, they're going to carry a gun, have a, have a shield, mm-hmm. but have a background in computer science, forensics, you know, some type of a IT background. In the last couple of years, I mean, we've been able to recruit people from the private sector. Uh, I don't want to name company, but people that, you know, they want to use whatever uh, they know, you know, from an IT perspective to support, you know, national security investigations. So that's, and they're still going at it pretty heavy. Dovetailing off of the the overseas presence, I know at our cybersecurity forum in July, you mentioned uh, the FBI has, can try to get the numbers right here, 56 field offices, 363 smaller offices, and of course the overseas presence. Uh, how do you coordinate effective cybersecurity across such a wide number of offices? That's always a challenge for uh I mean, not only for the FBI in particular, for it, but for any organization, whether it's private or government, that has such a large footprint and then has a, a global footprint. Any Fortune 100 company that has stuff overseas and in the U.S. and mobile, computers, network emails, I mean, it, it, it's, it's a challenge because you have a lot of components that have a lot, you know, a lot of authority to uh, – or being delegated authority to do their own, I don't want to say information security, but you have to work with the customer and the system owners in order to get that done. Because with the main power that you have a headquarters, you just can't do that globally. So it takes a lot of coordination, and then people know what the limits are. Or, you know, for this particular type of data, this is what you can do. And so th- there is a back and forth in negotiation as far as, you know, what happens globally. Kind of going back a few months, I know, I think it was April was National Supply Chain Security Month. Think about that as a national security priority. I've heard it from both CISA, ODNI, um, across the IC and national security more broadly. What is your office doing to secure the supply chain and and what risk management strategies have you adopted in in pursuit of that? So my office, uh, if you want to call it cyber defense for the FBI, we don't work directly with supply chain. Now, we are the people that sometimes need to remove stuff that, that is not Maybe it wasn't a, I don't want to say approved, but there was a flaw. But somebody, there was an order that came down from 
the president and, and you know this particular piece of software or equipment is so we remove. But the FBI as a whole, we work directly with with the ODNI, the uh, the supply chain division, in in order to protect not only the intelligence community but private sector companies that may be targeted by foreign adversaries. Mm-hmm. And that could be anything from a product, whether it is a piece of software, even hardware, to you know products and you know products and services. So you so you could be getting a service where somebody is coming in, you know, remotely to fix. I don't know, your email, you know, Office 365, we don't do that. But, you know, for a private company, uh, there should be a method or some type of method. You know, how do you evaluate third-party vendors, basically? That's what it boils down to. Do you trust them? How do they vet their people? So when it comes to supply chain, you probably have seen, like, the president, I believe it was like two years ago, you know, sign a presidential order, you know, Kaspersky cannot be used in a government uh, network. And then there was another one with Huawei, and I mean, it's all evaluating risk and whether or not you know it's acceptable. I think I remember some of the, the guidance you offered at our, our forum in July. I, half of it is the the Kaspersky's, the Huawei's. There are the national security security concerns, and sometimes it's just vetting for quality. The 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 product from China that costs half as much might not be as durable or uh, functional as you might hope. Part of the issue when when they're looking at um, I mean, I'm not in those conversations. When, when they're looking at the totality of the product, it, it's not only who created the product, but how secure is it? Right. You know, quality control. Mm-hmm. Is this particular product a problem if I put it on my network? It's not only it's coming from China, but it, you know, how is their quality control? How do they vet their product? You know, how do they do their testing? So all of that comes into play and somebody comes up and make a decision and, you know, it comes down to, to, you know, the intelligence community and the government, this particular product cannot be used in a government network. Now, it may be used in a private sector setting, but not not in my setting. So um, also at our forum in July, you, you talked about your time on detail to the National Security Agency and your work with penetration testing. Uh, could you talk a little bit more about what you learned uh, during your time there? So I was detailed over to uh, the National Security Agency for six years, and three of those years I actually worked on the offensive side of the house that's in a place called Taylor Access Operations as a director of operations. So our job there was very simple, was collect intelligence, for foreign intelligence for national security purposes. And when we're talking about collecting, that means you go and go out and get it from somebody else. Because you want, I'd say country, you want to know what your adversary is planning to do, what are they thinking. When you, if you're looking at terrorism, you know, what are they going to be attacking? What are the, what are the plans of Al-Qaeda and so forth? So... So my job was actually to direct the, you know, the collection of uh, intelligence, basically CNE on computers overseas. You, you know, if you, if you equate that to penetration testing, uh, which is, you know, somebody goes in and they're trying to find weaknesses in, 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 uh, in our networks. So they're basically emulating an attacker. Uh, if you hire a company and they want to do, uh, you know, a, a penetration testing job, and they're going to tell you, well, you have, you know, the mail server. We found this particular vulnerability. We were able to trigger it. We were able to get there and so forth. So the thing that I think that I mentioned back in when we had the meeting is that my time at the NSA, especially in my last job, we had a, a red team that emulated attacker, but they will go out to DOD Company X. And then two years later, we went back, and the things that were found on the initial assignment were not fixed, so you're really wasting your time. Mm-hmm. So if we tell you, you, you know, this thing, you need to get it done or get it fixed, 
It's all about vulnerability management, uh, which is not very sexy. So people prefer the penetration testing. You know, in my book, it's a little further ahead. You know, concentrate on the basics. You know, what 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 do you have? What's your what's your digital footprint? You know, asset, software, and then vulnerabilities. Right. That's basically your uh, attack surface. Because as you mentioned, it's not as sexy as you know penetration testing or red teaming. But uh, thinking about risk management and, and that strategy. What is your perspective on risk management and uh, what risk management framework or strategy is the FBI adopting? Well, everything we do, it's all about managing risk. It's not going to be zero and you don't want to have 100, right? For particular situations, you know, risk is going to be higher depending on, you know, where you work and what you're doing. And and it's going to be different even within the FBI for a particular uh, for example, you know, let, let's say that we the SWAT team is sent in to they got to rescue somebody. So you, you're going to take into account that there may be casualty on our end, but you need to get the hostage out. So it's all about ma- managing that risk and and the risk being aligning that with you know with, with what your mission is. So you got to manage it, and it's all got to be acceptable to the leadership. I imagine it's a, a mix of. Figuring out what your highest value assets are, protecting those first, figuring out what critical vulnerabilities fit within you know, the, the timeline or the, the budget for the agency as well. Yeah, You always want to protect your crown jewels. You know, people say, so you, you have to know what is the most valuable information you have. And, you know, private or government businesses, they're all going to have different types of information and that one's going to be critical. So if somebody takes whatever it is for, you know, for a private business, like say the Coca-Cola, you know, the formula to... Coca-Cola, I mean, they will have an issue. They probably go broke. Uh, so it's all about managing that, and you know, what's the acceptable risk or appetite for that? And you asked me about the the, the framework. Uh, most government agencies use the uh, the NIST cybersecurity framework. If you go private sector, they're probably using something like ISO twenty, you know, the twenty-seven thousand, uh, the twenty-seven oh one series. Uh, COVID, so that's more of a private sector, government side. I mean, if you're talking risk informed, it will be the the, the national cybersecurity framework. So, in your time as a federal IT professional and someone focused on cybersecurity, both offensively and defensively, what trends and evolving threats have you witnessed? And uh, are there solutions to those threats that have evolved in 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 time as well? And would you say those trends are changing at all? You know, in the last five years, what has really popped up that I that I can tell you, like, wow, that that's really that's a game changer in my mind. And it, it has to do with malware. And either on the nation state or the, even the criminal side, which, I mean, you know, they're producing what I would say military-grade malware, especially because you have a whole bunch of people that are unemployed and it's in Europe. And what you need is really good programmers, right? So I would say malware really has taken, uh, I mean, you see ransomware and, you know, sophistication. And a lot of the stuff is not really nation state. It just... People with money, they're making money off of banks, and uh, they're able to uh, basically back up a ransomware program. So that's one thing that has really, in my mind, really stood up uh, when it comes to, you know, cybersecurity and how we deal, you know, with malware. It's not only nation states, but organized, you know, criminal enterprise. Yeah, ransomware is the number one thing I hear about at conferences. It seems to have been only the past few weeks where it's really being brought to the forefront, but just the, the, I guess, skill and speed at which a, a small group of hackers somewhere in the world can cause you know, hundreds of thousands of times million dollars of damage, whether it's the ransom they're asking for or the, the data lost or the, the 
harm to a company if it's in the private sector or even the, the reputation in the public sector? And I mean, the critical thing is that there's money to be made. So to a criminal, it's all about money. You know, the, the times where a criminal went into a bank and they rob a bank, I mean, you don't really see that. And, you know, that's very, very rare. I mean, they, they take the money from a bank through uh, cyber means. You know, they can be sitting on the other side of the ocean doing, uh, you know, going remotely and doing whatever, you know, whatever the technique might be. And that's, it's a lot safer. And how do you know who it is, right? So that takes a lot of time trying to figure out who's at the other end. The other thing is wherever you put the information, the criminal or the nation say, we'll go there. Uh, I think initial, you know, at, the, at the initial meeting, we were talking about the cloud. If you put it on the cloud, they're going to go to the cloud. Mm-hmm. So when we're talking about cloud security, um, that's something you have to deal with. You know, how much information you put there, how, you know, is it secure? Or are you encrypting it? So if you put it up on the moon, they'll figure out a way to put it up on the moon. From the nation's perspective, it's all about, I need that information to make decisions. From the criminal side, it's all about making money. So it's a back and forth of they do this and then we do that and we counter this. So that's not going to end. A little bit of being proactive of understanding that uh, no matter how proactive you are, they're going to keep trying to get ahead of you, I guess. I don't want to say that's part of, that's part of, part of the business. You have something they want, mm-hmm. right? And your job is to protect it. And you have to be proactive. If you sit there, you're waiting for somebody to come in. Maybe somebody's already in and you don't know it. And then it, that gets into, you know, how do you monitor your systems and how good is your, you know, algorithms and what do you do? Or, you know, we have little things that we do on the sensors and, you know, and sensors that we can deploy dynamically to throw people off. But it's all about what is the adversary doing. And all that's driven by, you know, threat intelligence, right? What do you know about your adversaries? So another question we ask our, our participants on Cybercast is, uh, what is a major initiative or challenge in cybersecurity that's not being talked about or perhaps not being talked about enough? You know, there's a couple of, I don't want to say buzzwords, but, you know, people are talking about AI and AI is going to, it's a great technology, but there's always limitations on technology. And I think what people need to understand is that you have limitations. It's, it's still a computer trying to figure out you know, whatever you're trying to tell it, but you have to develop a model, right? And then if you have a model and I have a different one, how do we reconcile that? So there's challenges to all type of technology, and that's one that people think is going to solve everything every time that comes up, and it really never does. So it, one thing is, you know, know your limitations. I think that seems to be the another running trend I hear is there are a lot of agencies that want to chase the shiny object, which right now is AI or maybe you know, just automation in general. But make sure you have a, a use case for it at the very least and know what it can do and what it can't do is right. pretty key. I mean, I, I, I think there's a lot of potential in it, uh, but that's not really like a magic bullet that's going to solve all your problems. And, and it, it goes back to a balance. Like, what can you do with it? And, you know, where is it that it's going to fail you, right? So if you know that, I think you're in a really good position. It's knowing your weaknesses, not only, you know, within your infrastructure, but with your technology. What can it tell you? It's sort of like a, uh, an IDS, uh, you know, an intrusion detection system. It's not going to tell you everything. It's going to miss a few stuff. But you need to know, you know, where's that balance? No, it's not the perfect solution. No, it's, but it's a good solution. So last, looking towards the future, what are you focusing on next for the FBI? Um, are there any challenges that you're preparing for in advance or opportunities that you have in mind? As a matter of fact, AI is one of the things, one of the things we're looking at. Uh, machine, you know, ma- machine language, whether you're talking, you know, supervised or unsupervised, it's a really good way to dig through big data information to find out trends and patterns, right? 
uh, because it's not feasible for a person to be doing that. So talking about AI, yeah, I mean, I I can see we're looking at both actually to uh, not only to look at cyber data, but any type of data, whether you're talking data for crimes or data for the, you know, the businesses are trying to figure out how much water you were consuming. So, because it's all about data, you know, now we, we collect everything and that causes problems. How do you deal with it? Data management is huge. That's great to hear. Yeah. I, I wouldn't say I have a background in, in intelligence, but I, I worked as an intern for a company or a group that does a lot with the IC. And it's interesting hearing from a summit a couple of years ago, there was very much an AI will not replace the human analyst. It's there to assist. And now it's much more the, it enables the human analyst to do the higher level of work. If it, if you can use AI and ML to coordinate all the data, you can start using it a little more effectively. So that sounds sort of in line with what you're saying. Because, I mean, one of the things, that, like, for example, I always see the, uh, the, the global SOC for the FBI. I mean, when you're looking at data coming from a whole bunch of sensors, you're going to have a thousand events, right? So how do you know which is priority? So one thing that you can do is basically, you know, if you develop a model, say if this happened in this particular situation, let let the technology give you what is important for that day because you're not going to be able to handle the traffic, right? Uh, so in that respect, you want to be, you want the person to be looking at the most critical things that are happening, you know, in whether you're using Splunk or sort of, you know, any other type of theme, and let the machine deal with the data. Thank you again for appearing on our podcast, and we can't wait to see what comes next from the FBI, or at least uh, what we know about the public knowledge next. Okay, well, thank you for the invitation, James. Cybercast is a production of Government CIO Media and Research. It is hosted by James Mersal, produced by Amy Kluber. For more podcasts, head to governmentcio.com slash podcasts. If you're interested in sponsoring a podcast, contact us at sponsor at governmentcio.com.